1: Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Grant and Danny at the St. James live on 106.7 The Fan. We welcome you back alongside Danny Ruye. I'm Grant Paulson. We're hanging out today. If you are in the Springfield area, on site near the hockey rinks at the St. James, out and about saying hello to folks as they come for the Premier Lacrosse League, which is hosting the 2023 Championship Series starting today through Sunday here in Springfield at the St. James. But it is time for our Beltway Blitz on the teams in town you care the most about. We'll talk about the Commanders and the Capitals coming up with Rick Snyder and, and Nick Dowd. But let's start things off on the diamond. And to discuss the Nats with us, we've got Chelsea James of the Washington Post. Chelsea, thanks for a few moments. I was listening to Davey's press conference yesterday, and he was selling this idea that the Nats actually aren't as far off as everyone thinks. And he was citing young, up-and-coming pitching. I mean, he's got to say something. I get that. He's also one of the most positive people ever, and I don't think that's an act. But is there anything to that at all that maybe this season is not going to be as awful as we're all expecting, because maybe Cavalli and Gore and Gray all, all make major leaps in the rotation?
3: You know, I mean, there's reasons for optimism. You know, I think that's obviously best-case scenario, but everyone you just named, maybe with the exception of Gray, although he qualified at some point, was, you know, a, a better pitching prospect via all the rankings than pretty much anyone they've had in recent years. So, it's you know, it's, it's not like these are, are nobodies that they're banking on. I mean, if everything goes right... I think there is some hope, but when has everything gone right for this team lately? And, and frankly, in baseball, when you're betting on young pitching, um, that's a, a very scary bet. Doesn't mean it can't pay off.
4: Chelsea, I think there are two major sort of storylines that hang over everything, and 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 we can you know read and write and, and think about all the other different things, but these two things really to me are dominating stuff, and that's. Ownership-type discussion, where we are there, and really Steven Strasburg. I, I think that's kind of – it's hard to escape those things. Anywhere you go, you sort of end up back at those kind of anchors. I, I'd love for your thoughts right now. State of the Union on both.
3: You know, I think Strasburg is, is a, a long shot to come back. I really do. I think everyone has to say the right thing, but, I, you know, there's not a lot of indication there that they're counting on him at all. Um, and, you know, I think on the ownership, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether Te- uh, Ted Lerner's death. Affects anything, but I think that the broad strokes of that picture are Ted Leonsis wants to buy the Nationals. Uh, it is not easy to buy a team that doesn't have television rights guaranteed long-term, and until they have television rights guaranteed long-term, Ted Leonsis probably won't buy the Nationals, and I think you know, that's kind of where that stands.
2: Doesn't that then mean, said differently, the Orioles are going to have to sell before the Nationals can sell?
3: I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I think even if the Orioles sold, the, the, the question of the television rights would still be on the table for the next owner. I mean, either way, you have to come to a deal that guarantees the Nats and their owners some kind of revenue moving forward that they can count on if they're going to put billions into this team. And that can happen now. That could happen with a different Orioles group. But, you know, the rights belong to the Baltimore Orioles. And I think, you know, they've got to negotiate with whoever owns that team. What's Patrick Corbin's role going to be this year? That's a great question. I think you're, you hope that there's, there's room for him to eat innings and, and do it a little more effectively than it, he did last year. But it's really hard to say. It's, it's hard to picture them sort of just not utilizing someone who can eat innings and has been there before. But, again, it's like you could see it being fine. You could see him being somebody that really, really helps and, and figures it out and, and eats 100 and so innings. But, you know, I don't know what you do with him if he is incapable of doing that, if the numbers aren't there.
2: Of the veterans they went out and got who might start for them every day, guys like a Dominic Smith at first or Jamer Candelario at third, Corey Dickerson maybe in the outfield, those types, who do you circle as being interesting and, and who do you think could actually give them a jolt?
3: I think Don Smith's really interesting. I think he's felt underestimated in New York for years. Um, I think he was always someone where you thought if the at-bats are there, this guy could be something. He's played in big games. It's not like he's sort of coming out of nowhere. I just think he has a lot to prove. Uh, and I think, um, you know, so true. You know, that's also true of the other veterans they have, but, but not quite in the same way. And, yeah, I think he's, he's a really good talent who's needed it bats, and, and is now probably going to get them.
4: Next step for Caber Ruiz in, in, in his development.
3: You know, I haven't heard anyone with the Nats say this, but to me, I mean, he is a a very natural hitter. I think he knows the strike zone really well, and I think you just have to hope that the results start to to demonstrate that, that the stuff he does well starts to, you know, show, frankly. Because when you watch him in the box, at least when I I did last year, I thought I saw someone who really knew what they were doing and just kind of needed more time, and I think he's had the time, he's going to get the time. Um, as long as he kind of is able to stay within himself in the strike zone when he's in the box, I think he's, I think he's you know, somebody you can count on to be, if not a top-tier offensive catcher, uh, you know, a reliable everyday catcher.
2: Chelsea, it is great to be talking baseball again with you. Thank
3: you. For sure. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks, Chelsea. Read Chelsea Janes in the Washington Post. Let's talk football. Rick yeah, Snyder. The fan at DC.com covers those commanders. Rick, you heard the news, I'm sure, about the staffers potentially who are interviewing with Eric Biennami today in Ashburn. Greg Lewis, who coaches on the chief staff. Tavita Pritchard, who's at Stanford as a quarterback's coach. What do you think?
5: Well, uh, you know, he has the right to pick a staff. They seem like promising people, young and up and comers. So, uh, how, you know, I don't know the intricacies of the college coach. But, you know, if Eric wants to go for it, man. (laughs) But will this make a difference in going to the Super Bowl? Uh, Probably not.
4: Do you think Ron Rivera will stay out of the way and let Eric bien be Eric bien not just for the honeymoon period we're enjoying right now, but for, say, a football season?
5: Well, I think now, yes. But you start off badly, and if the offense look like, you know, junk, I'm sure Ron will have something to say about things. That's (laughs) every coach
2: where do you end up on Bienemy? there's kind of two camps there are people who think this was you know a slam dunk that the team this is a no-brainer that they're lucky to have him and then there's a lot of folks that say not so fast look this guy has never been on his own away from Andy Reid this is actually a little bit of a gamble like what do you think
5: I think both things can be true uh you know he has to prove himself I mean look he didn't get a chance to be a head coach after five years there, and they were giving him five one-year deals. So it looked like he was walking away from grandeur. I mean, it's nice they won Super Bowls, but that doesn't get him to be a head coach. So he bet on himself to come here and try and do well. If he does well, he will be a head coach somewhere. And if he doesn't, then the second-guessers will be out there. But at least this gives him the chance. That's the great part about it for
4: him. Do you think it's a done deal pretty much that they franchise-tagged Daron Payne? Yeah, I think so. I mean,
5: but it's when you get to this point, you've really backed yourself in a corner because he's going to say, I want 18.9, at least, in my new contract. And they'll go, well, I guess I want 18.9. I don't really want to listen to this long-term VS or whatever. I want 18.9, and next year I want 20-point whatever it is, because I'm guaranteed that under that. And if you don't want to give it to me, somebody else will in the free agency. So you're now in a no-win corner, which we have seen with Cousins – and a sheriff, among examples. So you should never get to this point. But, you know, they need him. And Ron Rivera is now playing short money game. All right, used to be a five-year plan. That's now 6 months plan. Got to win now or it doesn't matter because you're gone. So I think they do tag him and try and keep him because they need him.
2: So what about tagging him and trading him? You know, we, a lot of people are debating long-term deal or tag. But if you tag him and you shop him and you can get a couple draft picks for him, and another team pays him what he wants. Is that worth doing?
5: Yeah, but that's kind of fiction. I mean, how often does that really happen? Sean Gilbert, how'd that work out for Carolina? You know, you got to give up two ones. Now, they could take less than two ones if they want, but that's yeah, be well, it wouldn't be for two too.
2: ones. There's a lot of guys, actually, over the years that has got traded for less than two ones. I'm thinking, you know, if a team gives you a two and a three or a two and a four or something, would you be willing to do that?
5: No, I mean, you're going to get a three probably as a compensation pick anyway. So now you're talking about, well, a two, that's nice. But you've got to win now. Ron Rivera's playing, I'm telling you, think, change the way that everything has been thinking for three years. We're now in that critical, got to win now moment. Buying a draft pick for a year or two from now does not help Ron. He's got what's to win most, now. he's not. pick.
4: What's the most important thing to ensure they do, in fact, win now?
5: I say, well, I think they've got to rebuild the interior line. That's a critical so If you're going to play Sam Howe, got to give him a little time. You've got to get at least a guard in the center. Two guards would be even better. That's, that's the key. And then, you know, hopefully Sam Howe can play ball. You know, if they go to a veteran, I don't know that they will because I don't know if they have the money, uh, quite frankly, and the change transition time. This is like Trent Green's situation, you know, years ago where the team was for sale. Uh, so I don't think they do that. So, you got to give, you know, it'd be nice to get a tight end, too. The Notre Dame kid might be the first round pick. I don't think they'll do it, but that would be a good one. Tight ends, I have learned, devastate defenses. They've become so important. And last year they didn't have anybody, and look what happened. So, got to go for a tight end, too. That's probably three pieces of the offense you got to fuck up.
2: Rick, you've been one of our ownership whisperers here. You've been one of the guys we've talked to a lot on the sale. Um, what's your updated thoughts? There have been a lot of wind blowing in different directions, including reports here recently that maybe Dan Snyder won't sell. Maybe this is all a big okey-doke. What do you think?
5: I well, remember in the beginning I told you you'd hear a lot of stupid stories come out. <laughs> not surprised. I mean, it's just, that's just how this works. This is a billion-dollar deal. Lots of people have their own agendas for this. This is big money. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors. But, you know, they have been having people come in and look, kind of get down to it. So I think we're going to see a bid soon. I do not believe that that will be done by the March owners meetings. That's crazy uh, on this. So unless somebody's dropping cash and that's not happening. So I think it's going to still go a ways into the, into the off season. Maybe it's June again.
4: Rick, thank you as always, buddy. Really appreciate the time. Hi, right, boys. Yeah, man. Talk soon. Let's talk some Washington Capitals, please.
2: And with the latest on the caps, we check in with our guy, Nick Dowd. Dowder, last night, you're back in the lineup, so that's the good. The bad was another loss, and things are getting a little worrisome for fans here after five straight L's. We'll get to that in a second. But just getting back on the ice, how did it feel? Did you come out of the game healthy and ready to go again in a day?
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, injury-wise, you know, felt felt good um, coming, you know, waking up today and – um you know ready ready for tomorrow, so um you know no worse for the wear there, which was good it's always uh, it's always a good sign um you know getting back in game shape is impossible to to do without playing games, which is uh always the tough spot for players um not practicing a lot at this point in the year so um yeah, it felt good to be to be back with the fellas uh just you know trying to get my trying to get the pop back in my in my skating and um, you know, felt a little slow at times, but you know, you, like I said, the only way to to get back into the groove of things is kind of chuck yourself in there. So,
4: what's the last thing to come back after a long layoff and, and recovery like that?
6: Yeah, it's just that extra push. Like, it's just you, you know, you have that extra that extra energy to make plays at the end of shifts, or you know, you, after you're after you're done battling a guy one-on-one and maybe you get the park, you break up a play, and then you have that energy to get up the ice and, and play offense. And uh, I just think that's the toughest thing for me is it's my first shift. I felt really good. And then after that, uh, you know, it was, it was it was challenging until the third period where my legs kind of came back a little bit and I kind of, you know, gone to the flow of things. But, um, you know, I I think at this point in my career, yeah, just playing as long as I have, it's you know, mentally it's it's a little bit easier for me to get back into the swing of things, uh to compared to when I was a rookie and I was out. Um, you know, now it's I've just done it so often that I kinda know what, you know, I can rely on and, and what makes me a good player and, and et cetera. But um it's just that extra jump, you know, it's just like you <clears throat> I was watching my shifts last night from the game and I can just tell, you know, there's just certain circumstances where I should have got the pucks that i didn't get to and and stuff like that but you know that'll come back as as uh you know in the next couple of games so
2: that first shift was energetic couple of huge hits for nick dowd was brought to you by main street Bank. cheer local bank local put our team in your office joining us on our beltway blitz here on grant and danny now i mentioned the, the tough side of this now I, I was in raleigh not a a pretty game necessarily then you come home and Uh, We're hoping for better results. And right now it's just a challenge to score goals for the boys. I mean, it's five straight L's and the playoffs are on the line here and you got teams catching you. How do you guys feel in the room right now about your chances to still get where you want to go and and what's going on right now?
6: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I I think – I think in the last, you know, minus the Carolina game, uh, I think the guys have played well enough, you know, the Carolina Stadium Series game. I think we've played well enough to win hockey games in the last five games. I mean, we beat Boston in Boston in a really good game. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, we played well against Florida. Um, you know, we, we I actually thought last night we did a lot of good things. And I think, um, you know, for the first time, I mean, obviously it was my first game back in a while, but, I felt like the guys had really good energy. Um, You know, people were, were, were positive on the bench and, um, you know, guys were just overall excited to to play. Right. And, and, and uh, sometimes when you're in a, in a funk like we are right now, that's, you know, one of the more challenging things to do, right. Is, is maintain that, that positive outlook and, and uh, continue to trust the process that, you know, I think if we show up in the majority of the games like we did last night where, I think we had good energy, Um, you know, guys were playing for each other, guys were working hard, Uh, I think we were trying to make plays, and then, you know, as the game went on, we got better, I think we're going to win a majority of those hockey games, I mean, last night was, it was a challenging one, because we give up the first goal on kind of like a loopy point shot, you know, where Darce gets kind of bumped into by, by Reamer a little bit when Reams is, you know, trying to do the right thing and box out Perron in front, and kind of a a nothing shot finds its way in the back of the net and you know, everything is magnified at this point. Right. So, and then the second goal, we go on a five, you know, five minute power play. And, um, again, the guys are doing the right thing. They take a shot, it rims around, it bounces over a stick and now they have a two on one and, you know, to, to top it all off, uh, um, the, you know, the Detroit guy shoots it, Gus gets a stick on it and it deflects like perfectly top shelf, which is like unheard of. So, um, you know, so I, I think, and then even the third goal, right? Like, you make the right play, the puck bounces off Goosey's stick, and, you know, the guy takes one shot and it goes in. I mean, I think they, at one point, I think they had one or two shots in the third. That's it. And one of them goes in. Uh, meanwhile, I, I thought we outplayed them in the third, and we had a ton of scoring chances. So,
2: and what's was, that, that like? Little... Because you're right. I mean, you guys have the ice tilted. You're kicking their butt for eight minutes, and and kind of buzzing, and and everything looks like it's going to lead to a goal for you. You're down one, and then they get the puck on the other end of the ice, and something quirky happens, and now you're down two. That's got to just be exasperating, in in these games that are so big.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's for sure. It's it's deflating, you know, because you're you know you're sitting there, and you're like, we're you know we're we're sitting there, and we're doing all the right things guys are guys are you know working hard working their asses off and you know you just get this kind of like a bad balance and all of a sudden it's like bang it's three to one and that's a tough deficit to come back to and then on top of that i mean detroit detroit packed it in pretty hard um you know through through the first two periods or through the first first period i i don't know what it was but they had you know they blocked 17 shots through two periods i mean that's a ton of shots to block which means we had to puck the entire game which means we were putting pressure on them so again we're doing the right things right we just have to figure out a way to score goals and and you know quite frankly like we could use a bounce here or there that would be nice (laughs) um you know there was a couple pucks that sat on the goal line last night Willie had one where uh he went to tap it in back door and he lost sight of it for a second and he shoots it across the goal mouth with an empty net i mean you know like just some quirky stuff happened in last night's game and i you know like i said i thought we played well enough to win to win that game um you know, when you're on the other side of it too. I mean, I've been in games where, you know, you're getting outplayed and you just happen to get a bounce, and all of a sudden you make it three to one or four to one, and and you know, you kind of put the game out of reach. Um, but you know, we haven't had too many of those this year. I mean, you know, I'm not blaming it on bounces by any means, but um, I, I think you know we're, we're definitely not getting any.
4: That's for sure. Dada, always a pleasure, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Let's get a couple points tomorrow night against Anaheim, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Thanks, all
2: Got to have them. There's Nick Dowd with us on Grant and Danny for his weekly appointment. We do it with him each and every Wednesday. Brought to you by Main Street Bank. cheer your local. Bank local. Put our team in your office. And that is your Beltway Blitz. Next, a couple of really good NFL players were cut by the same team today as they tried to create some cap space. We'll tell you who they were. And we will get into the burning questions that ESPN says every NFL team has to answer this offseason
4: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: On site, out and about at the St. James. We're Grant and Danny. You are listening to the fan. Ryan Clary is with us out here. We got our crew, Michael and Toby, back in our DC studios on Half Street holding things down. We appreciate everybody making the show part of their day. How about the Titans getting after it today to try to create some money under the cap? They made a bunch of moves. They released some big-name players that people have heard of. Their longtime left tackle, Taylor Lewan, who I believe is the co-host with Will Compton. of Busting the Boys. Yeah. Busting with the Boys, the uh, Barstool Sports Podcast. That's very popular. Uh, wide receiver, Robert Woods, the former Ram who had a heck of a run in L.A. with Sean McVay and the Rams before going to the Titans. Inside linebacker, Zach Cunningham. If memory serves, he was a really, really good prospect coming out of Vanderbilt and was one of the leading tacklers in the league at one point in time. And then Randy Bullock, their kicker as well. So Talking about starters, veterans, these are big name key players. These are guys who's, you know, if if we're talking about our market here in D.C., whose jerseys people have. Yeah. Luan, Woods, Cunningham, and Bullock. They had been approximately 23 million over the salary cap before today. By releasing Luan, they save about 15 million. Woods, 12 million. Cunningham, 9 million. Bullock, 2 million. They have saved almost 38 million against their salary cap. And just like that, they got $15 million in space now. It can happen that quickly. I would
4: just like to say that overthecap.com is incredible. It's already updated with those totals. The last time I looked at this page, I happened to be looking at it for something else earlier in the show, the Titans were way, you got to scroll way down. You got a little little carpal tunnel from scrolling, and they had a big red number next to their name. Now that's a nice little tidy gray number indicating those moves have already been updated and recorded. So, yeah, they, they are busy making space under the salary cap. For what? Who can say? The,
2: the name that interests me here is Luan, the three-time Pro Bowl tackle. Yeah. Now, he's been a left tackle. Obviously, Washington has and has paid Charles Leno, so you're probably not bringing in a left tackle. But if Luan doesn't have left tackle options, I guess maybe you could consider him as a right tackle if they wanted to sign someone. Now, I know everyone thinks, well, you got Sam Cosme when they hear that, but I think Cosme is going to be their starting right guard. I heard enough from people in the building this past year to think that maybe they just kick him inside and that's the expectation. Lawan's no longer young, by the way. He played just two games last year, had an injury. It was the second time in three seasons that he's played five or fewer games. He's going to be 32 years old. So I don't think he's going to break the bank or be a marquee free agent addition, which is why I think maybe you kick him over to the right side and you pay him less than he'd been making to start on, on that side of the ball. He had an ACL tear that happened in week two against the Bills. So now he's got to figure out what's next. I mean, there's a chance he might just retire as well, according to ESPN.com, because he does have a lot going on from a media standpoint. Yeah. As I said, he and his buddy, a former uh, Redskin, who we have on the show from time to time, Will Compton, do a, a really popular broadcast. So that could be the route he goes. Yeah, it, it,
4: uh, options are open for him. A, a charismatic, interesting, pretty funny guy. Um, you, you wonder, though, kind of what's, what's the stated goal? And also you wonder, if somebody's missed that kind of time, are they injury prone or have they just gotten injured, right? Like an ACL tear, I don't know if it's because Taylor Lewan is more susceptible to injuries now at this stage of his career with all the mileage than he might have been a handful of years ago. It stands to reason that that's the case. But you're right, that's something worth investigating. If he's still a left tackle, if he still commands a pretty big payday, it's probably not something that Washington should do. If it's a, you want to add a few more years to your career, maybe kicked over to the right side, you could do an awful lot worse to, to bring in a guy with a pretty good track record who until 2020 was a pretty consistent performer, Jeeps. I mean Towards the top of the league in terms of tackles, could be a nice asset.
2: So that is your NFL news from just a roster standpoint today. I saw on ESPN.com they were assigning a question to every NFL team as kind of their burning question of the offseason. I'll get to the commanders here in just a second. But here's what they have for the rest of the division. For the Cowboys, they say – Does Dallas have the right personnel to run Mike McCarthy's West Coast offense? I don't know why or when that became a question. Uh, Here's what I would ask about the Cowboys, though. What are they going to do at running back? So Tony Pollard is a free agent to be. They could franchise tag him. I wouldn't do that. They could pay him. I also wouldn't do that. He's been their most effective best running back. Ezekiel Elliott is not a free agent to be. He's under contract. But they could potentially get out of his contract, and that's something I would absolutely prioritize. Remember, he signed a six-year deal for ninety million. So they have a potential out on that deal after year four here at fifty or so million. It would mean they have eleven point eight six million in dead cap, but they would still save roughly five million by doing that. You could try to trade him. I don't think they'll be able to. There are other backs. That are better that could be traded this off season, like Dalvin Cook of Minnesota, for teams that are trying to create some cap space. But you could save a handful of million bucks by releasing Ezekiel Elliott, who no longer really shows any explosiveness, doesn't create big chunk plays or any kind of you know big play propensity. So I would expect them to try to get out Elliott's contract if they're if they're not operating with Jerry just deciding that he really likes Zeke, so he's keeping him. Sure. Um, the Pollard decision is difficult if you move on from Elliott I guess you could get right back into a big running back contract and pay him (laughs) but what I would do is actually allow both of those guys to walk and maybe start over at running back they've been linked to B. John Robinson in the draft if he gets to them you know who's the best running back in the country this year at Texas uh, again that's a first round pick you're kind of doing the Ezekiel Elliott thing all over again but To me, that is the most interesting thing about the Cowboys this offseason.
4: 100%. It's that running back spot. I mean, I think they could do a post-June 1st designation, split that dead cap over a couple years for Elliott, maybe make it more palatable this year, but you still have to pay some in the following season. But I'm with you. I mean, you know how I feel about running backs. I I think – Every year you should just be throwing something at the wall, basically you know, end of the third round on. You like somebody that, that showed a flash or two that's got some quicks that can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think that's where you should go. They need someone, though, who can pass pro a little bit. The reason they kept going back to Elliott, it was like every time Tony Pollard would touch the ball in space, he'd do something special. And then they put Elliott back in because I think they didn't trust him, uh, talking about Pollard, in pass pro to the same degree that they had uh, with Elliott. I think that's something that they needed, especially in Kellen Moore's system. Will they need that with Mike McCarthy running things? Will they trust you a probably rookie? Probably always that? need a running. You always back need who someone to do it. So that may be kind of the only thing holding up. You know, just moving on from both of those guys. But that's how I would do it. I would always find, you know, your throw the dart at the wall running back from the third end of the third round on.
2: From a playoff team in the East, the Cowboys to another one in the Giants. ESPN.com says the big question is. In this second season now with general manager Joe Shane, how will he build around Daniel Jones? Again, I, I would ask a different question. My question for the Giants is Jones specific. I would just ask, what do you do with Daniel Jones? Do they tag him? Do they pay him? Does Daniel Jones get a massive contract? Did you see the number that was floating around a couple of days ago? I saw the number $45 million. $45 million a year. Now, while that sounds absolutely outrageous when you first hear it, that's what franchise quarterback money is going Ooh. to start looking like in the next couple of years. So when you're due up as a first-round pick, and in his case, a top half of the first round, top ten pick, and now it's time to get paid and you're looking at a tag which is going to be in the 30s of millions of dollars, you can start asking for $40 million, right? I don't think he's going to get 45. I, I think he'd probably get something down closer to 40. He's also changing agents. He's going from CAA to athletes first. Hmm. I'm not really sure what that means. I don't either. I don't know. It could be one of two things, but it, it definitely means something. One is he wants to do a deal. He wants to get a deal done, and he's getting a new agent to help him do that because his current agent says, we're not taking a discount, so the new one will help me do that, Or it's vice versa. Whereas maybe the new agent is thinking, hey, it's not that big of a deal if we get a deal done. And he's going, no, I want to get every penny right now, and, and athletes first will help him do that. But clearly, one way or the other, he's got his mind made up that he wants something. Otherwise, why are you changing agents?
4: So they've already got a ton of cap space the Giants do. Over the cap, let's submit 46 and change. And change is when you pay your quarterback. Well, once they get rid of Kenny Galladay's deal, that saves them another $15 million. So they've got some room to do that. So even if you've got to pay a significant I'm out to Daniel Jones. And who knows if it's 45, they settle in the high 30s, whatever it is, a big chunk of change going his way. And remember,
2: they did not pick up his fifth-year option. That's right. So whatever they pay him on this new contract starts, right now. starts immediately. Whereas if you paid him the fifth year and you were paying him around $20 million, you know, the, the 45 or whatever, the $38 million a year, let's say, if it's just even through every season – that wouldn't start for a year. Instead, because they didn't pick up the option, it starts right away.
4: And I think I've got this right. I think they don't like Andrew Thomas up there. I think they can save almost $11 million getting rid of him. So the point is, they can go shopping this offseason. The Giants team that made the playoffs with kind of you know uh, smoke and mirrors and gimmicks uh, this past year could look a lot different next year with a really good coaching staff and a little bit of stability with some of their key guys. They are not going anywhere. That Giants team. They could really make some moves this year.
2: I have not heard that Andrew Thomas could be out. Is that something you remember seeing?
4: I could have sworn Neil Evan Neal, one of our was guests. the tackle
2: this year who stunk. Who
4: Neal was the one who stunk? I could have sworn they were disappointed in Andrew Thomas. I remember. I thought I remember seeing that from. Uh, I mean, he got off to a that. slow
2: start in his career. He yeah. was drafted by Gettleman, who's a previous GM. That's very possible. I think one of
4: our Blitzing the East guests mentioned that at one point. It stuck in my brain. I could also be completely making it up and wish casting it. I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that could be part of it. Nobody knows. Uh, last one here for you of the three NFC East teams that made the playoffs the Philadelphia Eagles, the big question. Are there any core players the Eagles might struggle to retain or let walk? And then they highlight, and this is Tim McManus who's doing this for uh, ESPN Philly. Uh, some of their significant contributors. Do you pay Jalen Hurts now or do you have to wait? Jalen Hurts, by the way, we were just talking about Daniel Jones. After getting to the Super Bowl and being the runner-up for the MVP, he's going to be making upwards of $50 million a year probably. That's what the top five or so quarterbacks in the NFL are now making. Jalen Hurts is going to be able to ask for that. It's going to be north of 45, though. I promise you that. That would be the floor. Uh, What do you do with Miles Sanders, who wasn't getting any carries in the playoffs? They were inexplicably kind of just going to everybody else. Uh, Maybe he is a cap casualty or they move on from him. Fletcher Cox is old. James Bradbury is a free agent as well. How many of the key core of that Super Bowl team end up elsewhere? The burning question for the Eagles. We'll get to what they ask about the commanders, the number one question for the Washington offseason. Do we agree with it or not? We'll do that next on Grant and Danny here on the fan. Tarek El-Bashir joins us in 20 minutes. He, of course, covers the caps for the Athletic. They've lost five in a row after last night. The trade deadline's coming up. Just how much trouble are they in? We'll ask Tarek at the top of the hour. Grant and Danny on 1067, the fan. to St. James. Grant and Danny with you on the fan. We just met a a player on the U10 hockey team who knew the whole station lineup. Listens to the show every day.
4: Just a boss.
2: It Reminds me of myself. Like I would get home from school and I would go out into my backyard as a kid in elementary school and I would turn on my uh, radio. It was a real radio by the way. It was like a boom box. Do you so, remember those?
4: So, Ryan, radios yes. are – are they usually were boxes that had like a metal – thin metal arm that would come out of it that would help you, quote, get the signal, end quote.
2: So what it was actually – this is really going to lose Ryan, so uh-huh. I don't even know if we should bother telling well, you. Yeah, okay. it. It's okay. It was actually a big CD player.
4: It was a boom box. So mine okay. was a dual cassette player. Oh, boy. Dual. Two cassettes at once. But I, w-
2: I would put it on the back deck. Yeah. Okay. I would pull that antenna up and get it angled just so toward the sun whatever I needed. Yep. And then I would listen to the sports reporters with Steve Zabin and Andy Pollan. And I would shoot baskets, and I would pretend to be Michael Jordan in the yard. This kid's doing the same thing. That's what he's doing. And it just, you know, it, you, you sleep on it a little bit, but it's kind of cool that we're his. Dude, it's very cool. You know, sports reporters or whatever. I
4: would, I would. Only difference being that we're in crystal clear FM. So when I was, well, that, that is instru- Back then, every, instru- every instruc-
2: other difference. word for Zabe, it was like, King George County. You know, I lost them a lot. It was, Are but,
4: they getting their haircut there? Why is that? Why is, is there clippers? Um, I would, It's when I was supposed to be studying, when I was supposed to be doing like homework and stuff, I would be taking notes. I'd do the best I can, looking up old box scores and different things to take notes from my calls to Ken Beatrice at night. Right. So I Beatrice, like, you're all next night calls. Ken. And so I, I didn't want to not have information for him. Right. Look, like if he asked me, because the first time I called, I've told you this before, I wanted to talk about the National League MVP. Because back then there were like, there's no topics. You just called Ken Beatrice and he would just chat with you in vamp. And that's what it was. And so I wanted to talk about the National League MVP that year Barry Larkin won the MVP in the National League. And so we bet. We, and I suggested Barry Larkin, and he was like, That's a good suggestion. There are others who could win it. And we kind of went back and forth. And he goes, What about the American League? Not prepared. Not prepared for the American League. You didn't write the notes. So though. I went, Uh, uh, hung up the phone. Terrified, right? Sheer panic. That moment influenced me forever. I can never walk into anything unprepared again. You probably could. That's how I that's, – that's the, that's the, my anxiety is being unprepared.
2: Phil and Alexandria moment for you. Yep. Where you got asked a question and you just said, not for me. Thank you. Yep. Well, <laughs> so you just a great poll on hung up the phone. That's how we got to know <laughs> Phil and Alexandria That's how originally. we met Phil. That's right. He's become a good buddy of ours over the years. Uh, ESPN's burning questions for every NFL team we told you. We'd tell you what they said about the Commanders. The question asked is, will the Commanders be in the market for a starting quarterback this offseason? Or is Sam Howe really the guy? Translation, are they really going to do this Sam yep. Howell thing? Ron Bergen, I don't believe you. I've been saying this. I, I'll say it one more time. Nationally, people do not believe them. Yep. They just can't fathom that this is reality. I believe them. I really do. If you've been around here for the last few years, you know that – It doesn't have to make sense, necessarily. (laughs) And here's what people can't get through their mind. They can't grasp the idea that in the span of one day and three hours of football and sub-20 passes and, like, 11 completions, they went from not thinking Sam Howell was ready to deciding, Sam Howell or bust, (laughs) this is our guy. We've got an entire offseason with some money and draft picks, and we're not going to do anything to try to upgrade a quarterback. An offseason after, we were hell-bent to do so. And our whole offseason was about getting a quarterback. We've seen enough. We like Sam Howell now. And nationally, people just can't come to terms with how on Wednesday you could think he's not ready for the NFL. He can't start in a Week 18 meaningless game. And on the following Wednesday... Your plan is him in 2023. No
4: upgrade. (laughs) And I'll see that and raise you this. Are they going to draft somebody? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Are they going to draft somebody? Carson Wentz. They've done nothing but veteran quarterbacks. Ron Rivera's M.O. has than been. than Sam Howell. Yeah, well, so. well, but you know what I mean, pre this. That's my point. Before this. So you, 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 you walk in with that precedent. You walk in that it's the end of Ron Rivera's time here after he's had the chance to do whatever the hell he's wanted for nearly half a decade at this point. He's preaching, preaching patience while in, you know, two-thirds of the time the Eagles went from terrible to a Super Bowl caliber team. He's basically saying, yeah, we're going to turn it over to a kid. Nobody believes this except for those of us here in this market. <laughs> That's the story for me. Yeah, I do
2: think you're going to be getting this all year long, all off season long. Every time a veteran, whether it's Derek Carr getting cut, look out for Washington. If Aaron Rodgers is on the trade block and we find out in two weeks the Packers are moving him, look okay. out for the commanders. When Tom Brady announces he's coming out of retirement in six weeks, here comes Tom Brady to Washington. Keep an eye on them. You're going to keep hearing the commanders come up because people just don't believe that this team is riding with Howell. They go on to write, "How's the guy with an asterisk. Ron Rivera said Howell will be quarterback one when they begin their offseason workouts in April. I mean, he said it. Now, it wouldn't be the first time that they said something, did something else, but he is on the record. He has made it very clear. When offseason program begins, Sam Howell's going to get that first rep. They still just can't get it they through can't, their they heads.
4: They can't get it through their heads, man.
2: Grant and Danny on the fan. Tariq El-Bashir is going to join us at the top of the hour right at 5 o'clock. Looking forward to catching up with him. He covers the caps for the Athletic. I was at Capital One Arena with many of you last night. It was a packed venue for another loss. Four straight at home, five in a row overall for Washington. Just one win in six games since the All-Star break, and they had the week off on the back end. They got basically a two-week respite to get right, and they've come out with two points Out of 12, since then, they've fallen out of the playoffs for the moment. Just how much trouble are they in? And is there a chance they end up selling in early March at the trade deadline? We're going to ask that to Tarek next right here on The Fan.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.